Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thank you so much for joining us for yet another episode. And I'm here with a new friend of mine, Lindsay Weatherspoon. Lindsay, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, we haven't even started yet. I'm already happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, and honestly, I feel the same way. And I mentioned this to you before we started recording that um, I just I truly appreciate you. And, and we've had so many others that are just kind of willing to just jump in and have these conversations, even if you yeah. don't know me that well. Um, I think for ultimately for the benefit of our photography industry, it's really, really wonderful that we get to hear perspectives from all across the industry. Uh, one of the things that I love about our podcast actually is the fact that we're not, you know, a lot of times, whether you, it's a photography podcast or any other kind of themed podcast, you usually hear from celebrities, right? The, mm-hmm. the people that are most well-known. What That's I love true. about our podcast is that we're just having conversations with photographers from all across the industry, regardless of fame. And I think, I think that that is really appealing to a lot more people and much more relatable to a lot more people. And I like that we don't have to kind of put on a show, if you will. We can just have a conversation. So right, right, right. Thank you so much for being willing oh, no problem. to do this. No and I'm I'm excited to get into what is a relatively new topic. I think we've only in, in almost 200 episodes we've only ever really dealt with this particular topic maybe once or twice before. And um, so this is kind of fresh for us. And I'm excited to get your perspective because your work on your website is quite lovely. And I'll go ahead and mention this in the outset. For those of you listening in, Lindsay's website, if you haven't had the opportunity to look at it yet, is Lindsay, L-Y-N-S-E-Y, Weatherspoon, W-E-A-T-H-E-R-S-P-O-O-N.com. And um, you're going to want to take a look at that, particularly the homepage, because I'm going to allude to that here in a little bit with regards to Lindsay's commercial portrait work, uh, which is really, really lovely. But let's start off like we normally do. Um, and this is something that, that we've been doing for some time, but I, I really love it. And, and I like to find out what our guest's technique or tool for time is. What is something that you do as a business owner to create space or time for yourself? Well, um, again, thank you again for having me and thank you so much for the compliments and making sure that, you know, people know how to spell my name when they look for me, because I already know that my first and last name is usually misspelled. So I appreciate you doing that. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah. But as far as making time for myself lately, I've just really been in a groove with a lot of work and Hmm. I had to ask myself that same question, like what what am I doing? to take time for myself outside of the work, because trust me, I love it. But sometimes you have to step away from it and actually, you know, make sure that you're still being creative, being mindful of not only your physical health, but your mental health as well. So true. Yeah. So um, what I've lately just been doing is just honestly just been resting, you know, catching up on sleep, catching up on reading, making it a point to hang out with my friends and just having like those open and honest conversations about, you know, just how how good life is right now. But Mm. also being aware that, hey, I I need to just kind of step away from what I love just for a little bit to do the thing, do the other stuff that I love. Like I'm in I love bowling. I like 
hot dogs. Like hot dogs are my thing. And I haven't had a hot dog, a good hot dog in a long time. <laughs> and that, I mean, it's so true. I mean, if you ask anybody, they're just like, yep, Lindsay loves hot dogs. As a matter of fact, I had one last night. So yeah. it's just like, you know, those, those little small things that you didn't realize that you missed. Those are the things that I'm reconnecting with right now. So, you know, like I said, just catching up on reading. And, and, and quite honestly, I've also had to remove myself from um, social media and just everything that's going in the going on in the world right now. Mm. I think that can be a distraction and it's also like a, a heavy load on you at times. So those are the things that I have been managing to do, you know, to um, recalibrate myself and okay. be aware of, you know, self-awareness and things of that nature. So that those are just a few things that I've been doing. Yeah. You mentioned the word mindful mm-hmm. there in your response. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a good summation of one of the, the significant reasons why we do need to step away there. It, it exactly. actually gives us time to be mindful, not mm-hmm. to just kind of be reacting to any and everything coming in, but mm-hmm. um, a bit more present, a, a bit more self-aware as you were alluding to as well. And I think that's really important. You mentioned bowling. I, I love to bowl, but I've <laughs> not ever really been very good at it except for Wii bowling. Have you ever played bowling on, on the Wii, oh, the wow. Nintendo Wii? I, I haven't played Wii I haven't played bowling on the Wii in such a long time, but, <laughs> but I, I did enjoy it. I mean, you know, just being like the little characters and getting a strike every time. Yeah, yeah. There, there's something about putting, like I own my own ball and shoes. That's just how uh, much I love bowling. Okay, okay. And so I've been bowling since they didn't make shoes for kids. Like I was bowling in my socks. That's how long I've been bowling. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's been a, a very long time. So I, I don't know. It's just something about putting on my shoes going to the bowling alley, you know, having the ball in my hand and improving my strikes and everything like that. But I I haven't done it in so long that it'll it'll probably feel like I'm trying to ride a bike again. But but yeah, but I I love it so much. I like to see how, you know, how my curve game. Yes. ball just kind of curves and I get that strike and I get that happy feeling. I don't know, maybe something about knocking things down. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so but I'm really curious about this because on on the Wii, I can I can mm-hmm. create this this wonderful spin and get a beautiful <laughs> strike, but I pretty much don't have the first clue what I'm doing and how to create a beautiful curve when I'm actually bowling with with a like real in ball. Real life. Yeah. Okay. So I know this is totally like off the cuff, but do you have at least one tip you can share with our listeners as to how to get a little bit of spin when they go bowling? Well, I mean, from an amateur's take, I usually know which way the ball is going to land once I let go. So I usually stand to the um, far left of the lane. Okay. And I never hold the ball with all three fingers. It's only just my middle finger and, you know, the one next to it. So I only hold the ball with two fingers. Really? And then, right. Yep. And then once I let it go, I think it, I think it's the approach too. when you have your two fingers in the ball and then you let it go, you have to flip your wrist and the ball would naturally curve the way that you actually throw it. Interesting. That's just, yeah, that's just me. I don't know about anybody else, but that was that's what works for me. Okay, well, that, that's <laughs> awesome. The, um, bowling Tips 101 here on the Boca oh, Podcast, that, yeah. presented you know, that's by what Lindsay. I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you mentioned spending time with friends, which is really mm-hmm. wonderful. The other thing you, you mentioned too, which I, I love, is having real and honest conversation with friends. Yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. at too many surface level conversations happening in this day and age, you know, whether it's on social media or in person, it's, it's almost Mm -hmm. exhausting at times. Mm -hmm. And I know that everybody has their comfort level. My tendency is to want to go deep right away. And um, I have to remember, okay, it's, it's not like, it's nothing personal that, that, (laughs) that they don't want to do the same thing. But besides spending time with friends and bowling, anything else in particular that you like to do with your free time? I like to watch a lot of YouTube videos. Yeah. I love to watch TV 
And I think it's more of a recent love because I've never been the one, that type of person like, hey, let's sit down and look at the schedule to see what's on TV. I've never been that type of person. But now that I'm kind of diving into more deeper issues when it comes to my photography, I feel like I have to reconnect myself with like documentaries Mm. or movies that have some type of significant meaning. Mm-hmm. Of course, I still, I, I don't, I don't want anybody to think that I'm just like some dull person. I still watch funny stuff like Bob's Burgers and stuff like that. <laughs> just to, you know, just to kind of remove myself from the real stuff. Okay. But, you know, I'm always, you know, putting it in the back of my head, you know, back of my mind, like what, what impact am I going to make on the creative world? So I have to, I, I seek those movies and televisions that's going to make me think. Hmm. And it also allows me to think about what my next, you know, upcoming project could, could potentially be. But yeah, I, I I have a fun side, but I also I think I just go too deep at times. But um, and I have to kind of dig myself out of that because like like you, Nathan, you know, you don't want anybody to think they can't have just a regular regular conversation <laughs> with. You. And I was like, yeah, I am a regular person. But, yeah. You know, just I'm always thinking, even in the midst of looking at Bob Burgers or or um, American Dad and all of those other type of shows. Yeah. So so yeah, I mean, at, at one point I had went down the rabbit hole looking at the Cleveland show, and I was like, okay, Lindsay. Like you, you got to get out of that just for a second. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I look at everything, but I also have that that moment where I just want to escape from from what's real, and those are my what's not real type shows that mm. I watch. But you know, I think you mentioned watching YouTube, and and to be mm-hmm. honest, I actually do quite a bit as well, and and for mm-hmm. varying reasons. Uh, but I think there's something to be said. I mean, I think a lot of people could kind of write off the idea of spending time on on YouTube or on Instagram mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Facebook or otherwise um, as just kind of a waste of time. I think there's a certain amount of awareness about culture that is healthy for us as artists and business owners because it lends perspective it to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and certainly it can also be a source of entertainment as well. But that's really great. And And we're kind of going down this road already. But tell us something random that most people don't know about you. I'm the only child. Okay. I don't think me, a lot of people know that. Um, are we Are we going for things that are weird that people don't know about me or just things in general? Hey, we can just I put mean, it I, all out there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can move my ears. I don't think most people can do that. And I mean, it's like one of those involuntary movements. Yeah. It's, it's kind of weird. That is, yeah, because I guess like normally when, when somebody smiles, it, it mm-hmm. almost naturally pushes their ears back mm-hmm. or up. But you can yeah, do that I, without smiling. Yeah, I can do that on my own. You I got mean, some extra muscles in there somewhere. Yeah, I don't know what people are going <laughs> to think about that, but hey, you, you, you're getting full Lindsay right now. Um, I I am a I love to tinker with things, okay. so I like to break them down and put them back together. Interesting. Um, do you do you find that you customize any of your photography gear that way? Oh no 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 no! I won't touch that. I, okay. It's just things. It's, it's things that I don't mind taking apart and putting back together. Because, um, you know, this stuff is expensive and I'm not trying to <laughs> have to buy it again. But Fair yeah, that, I, I, yeah, I don't think a lot of people. Oh, well, here's something. A lot of people don't know that I can sing. It's just a hidden talent that I don't let everybody know about. If you it, like most of my friends from like high school and middle school, they know that, um, you know, done plenty of concerts for, for high school and really? college. Yeah, but. You won't see any of that online anywhere. So, <laughs> so yeah. Is yeah, there a reason you're trying to, to hide that? I don't know. I, um, I'm i still in love with singing and I sing from time to time at home. Okay. But if someone was to tell me, if someone was to ask me to, I just kind of like freeze up because I'm also, you know, you probably won't believe me, but I am actually shy. 
So it takes me a minute to type to kind of warm up to people. Yeah, yeah, I get and, that. And, and you know, and to express what my other talents are. But yeah, I that that's one thing that most people are not aware of. Huh. I, I actually mm-hmm. I sang in a group in college, a traveling really? group at that. Um and, and I love to sing. Uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite things to do if I can find some in fact my daughter and I not very long ago we're doing a, a little bit of this together at home, but I, I love to to find someone who's got a, a decent ear and sing a you know a two part harmony together. I think it's just absolutely beautiful and so so enjoyable. And I can get goosebumps just just even making an attempt at it. But yeah, yeah I think that's I think it's a wonderful wonderful craft to develop. And um, you know, this day and age, there's I think less maybe not quite the significance given mm-hmm. to music, whether it's vocal or instrumental. Um, right. The way that that even maybe say 20, 25, 30 years ago, uh, mm-hmm. it was as kids were growing up. But I think that's wonderful that you have that talent. What, what's yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you are kind of a deep thinker, it seems. And I'm curious what the most <laughs> impactful book is that you've read. Oh, the most impactful book I've read has honestly been it's a photography book. OK. Um, and it's called Black Women Photographers. I mean, it's, it's a very simple topic, but it's one that is um pretty much affected my work. Wow. Um, when, you know, when I, when I think about when I was starting my career, the only black female photographer I knew was my mom. And, you know, no she was way. also, yeah, she was one of the, she was one of the only artists that of course that I had direct connection to, because of course she's my mom. But after that, you know, I went on like this, this, this hunt for others and I could not find them. So I started looking for books and this was the only book that was on the market at the time. Um, it, it's still sold on Amazon and, and, you know, it's just, it, it, it just gave me clarity to know that there were other black female photographers who were, you know, doing the justice of documenting the world as it was at mm. that time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really, I hold on to that book. Like it's my Bible. Wow. Um, because it's, 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 it's shown me other prolific photographers in, you know, in this category who look like me. And I think that's going to be important going down the road um, of my career. I want to make sure that, you know, that my work is honestly not in vain, that it has a purpose. And after finding that book, then I know that I'm in good hands. Well, it seems like it would have been a wonderful source of inspiration too. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming, and I haven't seen this book, we'll make sure to find mm-hmm. it and link to it in the show notes, but I'm assuming there was a variety of examples of these various photographers works there yeah, as well is. that it you is. can find inspiration from. Yeah. And, and some of them only just have, you know, just their name and maybe their work was, you know, it may have disappeared just because of archiving purposes, mm. but a, a few of them definitely have the names of the women who shot, you know, during the civil war and things of that nature. Wow. So it's just, it, it's just really important to have that, yes. have that, have that um, document documentation in my library. And it's, it's still a book that I go to uh, from time to time. Oh, that's wonderful. You mentioned though, and I don't think I, I'm, I know I didn't realize this about you, you mentioned your mom as a, as an inspiration. I, was she, did she run a photography business? Was she a portrait photographer like yourself? No, my mom was more of the artsy fartsy type. Okay. So, so, you know, anything that, that grabbed her eye, that's what she took pictures of. There are pictures that she, she took still hanging up at my, um, my childhood home. Yeah. So I go back and visit them. There are, there are pictures of her, I want to say her great grandmother. You see the great grandmother or aunt. Oh, wow. And, and it's, it, like the impact of it, it definitely inspires the work that I shoot now mm, because, mm-hmm. um, and I'm pretty sure we'll talk about it later on um, in the show, but I like to shoot pictures of disappearing communities. 
especially when it deals with those of black or brown people. Okay. So, you know, dealing with those issues and realizing that there may not be any um, archival perspective yeah. to those communities, yeah. I think it's, it's really important to, you know, not wait to start things like that. Wow. Wow. I, th- you know, there is something, uh, well, I'm sure we will, as you mentioned, get into this in a little bit more detail uh, in just a bit, but the opportunity to be able to tell a story through a portrait, mm-hmm. it's such a powerful privilege, but the kind of perspective and ultimately the mission, it seems that you have with regards to why you're taking those portraits, why mm-hmm. you're taking the stories, is that much mm-hmm. more impactful and maybe even obvious in your work? And again, for those of you listening in, do make sure that you go to Lindsay's website, Lindsay, L-Y-N-S-E-Y, Weatherspoon, W-E-A-T-H-E-R-S-P-O-O-N, uh, dot com and, and take a look at her work. And, and I think you might see what I'm referring to here. We're going to get into some of the details about how you create that work here in just a little bit. But I'd love to hear a bit more about how you even got started in photography in the first place and, and maybe a bit about how long you've been in business as a photographer as well. Yeah. As I said, my mom was a photographer and, you know, just a just a um, all around artist and she could paint, she could draw she could do pretty much everything, but I just stuck to photography because I knew that was the one I had the most patience for. So, um, you know, I've been around photography for quite some time, but I didn't start my business until 2008. So I've been in business for 10 years now. Wow. Congratulations. That's yeah, huge. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I was once told if I could make it to the five year mark, then I'm, I'm good. Yeah. So. <laughs> and you doubled that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm very grateful to be where I am right You know, That's today. awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I, I started shooting, you know, just family portraits and weddings as most do in their career. And then I, um, was introduced to commercial and advertising photography through a friend who was a graphic designer. And he put me in touch with an advertising agency who was um, pretty much having like their annual um, um, ad agency um, celebration event. Okay. And that put me in touch with some creative directors, some art directors. And um, I I eventually found a mentor out of that whole process. And I would show him my portfolio. He'll tell me, you know, these are good. These are the, this is our this this is the direction you should take with your work. So I always kept that advice in the back of my head because I knew that I honestly did not want to be a wedding photographer for long. I enjoyed it for what it was. It allowed me to document and you know kind of practice. But I knew that I wanted to do a different type of assignment every time that I was hired. And, you know, this is, you know, nothing against any wedding photographers who may be listening to this, but I know myself. And then when you know yourself, you do better. So I decided to um, transition from doing weddings and, you know, primarily weddings and family portraits to focusing on the editorial, commercial and portrait world. So that's that's my career in a nutshell. Thankfully, I've had the opportunity to shoot for the for the likes of The New York Times, NPR, The Intercept, Phillips and a few more other clients that I I did not know were even watching me at the time. So it's, it's just been a privilege to to be in this this um, photography world. Wow. I, you made a statement there that I think is quite impactful. And it's something that we've talked a little bit about here on the podcast before as well. But the significance of knowing yourself mm-hmm. and how much mm-hmm. more effective you can be in business. And I think too, there's less a chance of burnout when you know who you are, what your tendencies are. You learn to capitalize on those. 
And then as a result, you don't get burnt out so fast doing what you do as a profession. Um, I think that's really important too. I, I'm honestly, I'm a bit envious of you. I shot weddings for about 10 years, mm-hmm. but the opportunity to do something like you do. And, and again, for those of you listening in, we're going to kind of get into the nitty gritty, nitty gritty of, of how Lindsay goes about her portrait sessions here in just a second. But the opportunity to sit down with, engage with, get to know someone and then photograph mm-hmm. them in order to capture their story, I think is just a, it's a beautiful idea to me. And, and I'm curious to get into how, how you go about that process. We'll do that in a second. But yeah. through this process now, I mean, you've been in business for 10 years, which is way, way, way more than most photographers who get started can say. Yeah. What's the toughest lesson that you've learned so far as a business owner? The toughest lesson I've learned is you're going to have a year where nothing happens. Mm. And I've talked to several photographers and it's a sobering feeling to know that you're not alone in that thought or in that experience. What I mean by that is that there was one year where I I probably had like a like two handfuls of work and that's not a lot. It wasn't a lot to sustain yeah. you know my my current lifestyle, you know where I where I live, um what I do, the type of things I like to buy for myself, you know. <laughs> yeah. Quite honestly, you know, and it, and it and it felt like I wasn't supposed to be doing this. And, you know, once you get over that hump and realize that that's just your test at the moment, then you'll appreciate where you are, you know, forever and ever. And like I said, this is this is 10 years and I am definitely not an overnight success. This is 10 years of hard work, grinding it out, tears, heartache, you know, being pushed away, not getting the job, not feeling like I deserved you know, certain things, hmm. but here I am. And when you can survive that, that heartache, then you're walking in your purpose. That And that's what I, that's how I truly feel about any photographer or any creative's journey. Um, it's hard. I, I'm not going to lie. It's been hard. Um, and I, I can honestly say that if I didn't have people who are looking out for me or for other photographers that I could have like those candid conversations with, I don't know where I would be. And I, I think it, it would be helpful if I had to offer some advice at this very moment is to just make sure that you connect with photographers who are in a space that you want to be in. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's super critical because if I was to talk to a photographer who's where I am right now, it wouldn't make sense. We're, that would be a, a linear move. I want to talk to someone who's 20 years in the game. Oh, that's who, good. Right. Who's seen, who's seen more than me. Yep. Matter of fact, you know, it doesn't even have to be 20 years. It could be three years because three years can make a difference. Yeah. And for me, it was two years that made a difference going from 2016, where I didn't have a lot of work to where 2018, like I said, I've worked with um, the New York times and NPR. I never would have fathomed that those type of people would be calling or emailing me to do assignments for them. So it's just, I, I would just say, Talk to people that are, you know, years beyond you to where you want to be. And also just stay with your work. Find out who you are within your work. So that, that would be the two pieces of advice that I would give photographers right now. Wow, that's that's wonderful. And, and I love that that allusion to the linear move versus mm-hmm. something that is way beyond you, right? It's right. It, it is easy to associate with with those who are very much like us and, and, and it helps us kind of feel comfortable in the moment, but right. pushing ourselves by finding 
kind of that North Star, something to work toward, mm-hmm. uh, to grow toward, I think is really, really important. And, and I love that advice. I, let's shift just a little bit. And I think yeah. our listeners have probably kind of gathered what this might be already. But tell us what your photography business's brand position is. I know that commercial photographers, um, this is actually an assumption, but mm-hmm. you, you see how wide ranging the wedding and portrait photography industry is yeah. and how many there are, some that are kind of uh, up and coming professional photographers, some that are part time, full time, etc. Um, it seems as though commercial portrait work is something a little bit more niche, but it's still going to be a relatively crowded space in that there are other photographers trying to do the same thing. So how do you set yourself apart from other commercial portrait and editorial photographers? What I generally try to do um, when setting myself apart is making sure that my portrait's as we just talked about, has a storyline behind it. And mm. it's not that everyone will, but you can make an assumption that there's a story behind the image. And I do that by presenting my personal projects rather than the work that I've been commissioned for. So when I'm, when I'm, I guess, quote unquote, selling myself, I don't show what people have hired me for. I show what I want to shoot. So, you know, having that that personal vision behind what you want to shoot will allow people to know what to hire you for. And commercial portraits, you know, it's it could it could be in the realm of headshots. It could be in the realm of, you know, super small or or large ad campaigns. But I usually try to set myself aside by, you know, allowing the the the, the client to, to feel as if there's a story behind any image that I, I shoot. So naturally a storyteller as far as my branding position goes. Yeah, I, I see this tagline, um, and not on your website, I'm just thinking mm-hmm. about this as you're, as you're talking, there are commercial portraits that tell a story. Because mm-hmm. your, your average so-called commercial portrait, I mean, the thing that comes to mind is what you said a second ago, a headshot, right? This very mm-hmm. formal looking headshot with just mm-hmm. so lighting and somebody in a suit or in a fancy dress or whatever it might be. Right. And, and it, it looks just the same as every other headshot, it seems. And and when I get to the the homepage of your website, I see such a beautiful variety of shots with where you're actually capitalizing on the background to complement the subject to tell Mm -hmm. that story that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's huge. And and it definitely sets your work apart. I I really, really love that. Let's yet again shift and because we're going to get back to how you go about telling that story here in a second. Um, But let's let's yet again shift in a different direction and and get to kind of a a little bit of a nerdy question on my part. But um, I'm curious (laughs) what is in your gear bag? What's a favorite camera body or lens or camera bag or some other accessory that you like to use on a regular basis? Oh, do we have time to talk about because I that that's why I stay on on YouTube. I've been following, um, you know, this month is. Um, photo Kina. Yes. So I've been um, looking at all of the technology that's been being displayed and being um, introduced. But for me right now, my favorite setup, no matter what, would be my Canon 5D Mark IV okay. and my 24 to 70 F 2.8. Yes. No matter where I'm going, that is my setup. And it's like, it's my run and gun setup because most times in most situations, especially when it comes to editorial stories, I don't have time to change my gear. Mm. So I have to use, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of zoom lens. So if I can't use my feet, the lens will do it. Yeah. Most of the time people will see me depending on the assignment with that setup and my, um, Mark three and 70 to 200. So those are like my two primary 
go-tos when I'm shooting. Yeah, that 24 to 70 has to be the most versatile lens. And, it, and it's it so beautiful, is. especially it in a full is. frame camera with the bokeh that you get and yeah. the yeah. flexibility of those focal ranges. Uh, that's that's really, really great. Yeah, yeah. And most of the pictures that you w- that you see on the homepage of, in the portrait section of my website has been shot with a 24 to 70. OK, I don't know. It's just it for me, it's fun to kind of move in and out and see those varying angles uh, without having to, you know, move my feet. Yeah. A lot of times I'm not able to. And then right. I like to catch people when they're off guard. So that 24 mm. to 70 allows me to do that. Well, and especially if you're photographing in the various environments which surround mm-hmm. these subjects, you probably mm-hmm. do need a little bit more flexibility than just to go in there with a fixed lens. Yeah, yeah, generally do. And, and I'm curious, too, you're talking about watching all the, the latest news about uh, gear coming out of Photokina. Are you mm-hmm. going to make the move to mirrorless? That is a good question. I I have been pondering if I'm actually going to try to sell off my Mark III yeah. for for the EOS R, but I actually have my eye on the um, Fujifilm GFX R, GS50R. Oh, the they're new all, medium yeah. format camera. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah, they're range they're rangefinder style um, medium format. I've always love just like the look and feel of medium format Mm -hmm. and now that is at a pseudo affordable price (laughs) 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 compared to my dream camera which is a phase one with an 80 millimeter 80 millimeter lens and i think that's around 40 or 50 thousand yeah yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna go into debt (laughs) so yeah but yeah that's what i've I've been looking at so it's either between the the uh, fuji film medium format or the um eos r um i don't I, i don't think a lot of people know that I also shoot video. So I also have that in the back of my mind. I want my gear to be, um, you know, to go along with what type of stuff that I shoot. So I don't always have, I don't want to always have to buy things. I mean, excuse me. I don't want to always have to rent things. I want to actually have it in my kit and, you know, use things I want to use every day. Yeah, for sure. No, that that's that's really really good. And I'm yeah. You'll have to keep us posted though on that. I'm I'm curious about that Fuji camera. Um, Me you know, too. I've I've recently and, and I've talked about this in the podcast because I just was so enthralled by it. But I was mm-hmm. I was playing with the uh, XT2 um, from, really? from Fuji, which is I loved it for the form factor. Mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm. I shot with relatively larger bodies when I was shooting weddings, Nikon right. at the time, but. Um, the form factor of the, of the X-T2, and I think the X-T3 just came out not long ago. Yeah, um, it did. Uh-huh. It's so wonderful, and the, the size of it, and yet it carries enough weight that and, you know you can you can keep your hands steady if you need to get that slower shutter speed right, uh, shot. Right. But I just really, really was was enthralled by it. But I, I've not actually had the opportunity to take a look at this this medium format camera. So yeah, you, I I think you should. And I have a I have a few friends who shoot with Fuji, and I you know I've I've toyed with the idea of switching systems and things of that nature because as I, I'm, I mean, I'm not old, I'm only 34, but this stuff gets really heavy after like just an hour. It does. Yeah. Right. So I'm just thinking about, okay, like I, I don't want to have these chronic back issues and all that type of stuff. So I think what I will probably do is just wait till Canon's next iteration of their um, full full frame mirrorless cameras yes, uh-huh. and then probably go from there. Yeah. I just, you know how you, and you, you've probably had this feeling too. You've invested so much into one system that you just don't want to, you don't want to do anything else. Like I love my Canon gear. I love the colors from it. I love, you know, just how robust this gear is, but um, I'm just not willing to have my gear to depreciate only to switch to something else. So I'm, I'm just going to hold off. And plus, there's nothing wrong with the gear that I have. And I that's another thing, um, another piece of advice I like to add. You know, 
I, I feel like a lot of people go down the rabbit hole of YouTube and feel like they have to get everything that every YouTube photographer is using. And what you have is already good enough. You know, learn learn that camera inside and out. And when you've maxed out its capabilities, then consider, you know, the next camera up. But don't, you know, don't just keep buying stuff just for the sake of it. That's you actually know? a, yeah, that's a good gu- guideline. I don't think I've, mm-hmm. I've heard any of our guests put it that way before. Mm-hmm. When you've maxed out its capabilities, because the reality <laughs> is most of us probably won't ever max out the capabilities of nope. that of that gear. <laughs> So we should be holding on to that for a while. And it's a good yes. point. We really don't need, I mean, some of the cameras that I used to shoot with 10 years ago would still be enough now, as right. long as you're cognizant of the technical aspects of photography, how to use light and exposure and keep an eye on exactly. white balance and so forth. Yeah. So, so the idea that, that we have to constantly upgrade that gear is, is a misnomer for sure. I think that's great mm-hmm. advice. Mm-hmm. Now, you talked about the fact that you started kind of in, in wedding and I think maybe family portrait photography as well. Mm-hmm. early on, but then of course you made the switch to commercial and editorial work. What would you say would be the biggest difference between say a portrait of a family or portrait of couple versus these individual portraits for commercial work? That is a good question. Um, or is there any a difference really? It just depends on the photographer. I know that there are, there are family and I'm thinking more family portraits right now. Uh, well, Matter of fact, it goes for both. If I'm thinking about family portraits and weddings, you know, you have those photographers who are more posers who like to pose people okay. versus those who like to who will allow just the natural flow of the event go, you know, as it goes. And I think there is a way to kind of use those same photos in a commercial manner. Hmm. I think of family portraits that just allow people to be themselves in their home. Yeah. And that same image can be used in a commercial manner, let's say, for um, an advertisement, whether it's going to be social media, print or whatever. I think that people just have to realize that what they have can be used for other segments of uh, photography. So even if you are, let's say, primarily a family or a wedding photographer, there may be someone who needs your type of photography for their commercial product or project. So I think all of us have the capability of being a commercial photographer. It's just how do you, who are you talking to that will help you get to that, to get to that point. Portraits, well, family portraits can still be used in a commercial manner, maybe through stock or maybe through agency work, whatever the case may be. All of us, quite honestly, are commercial photographers. It's just like, how are you using those same images? Yeah. And it, you know, how are you? Con- how are you considering to sell them to somebody else to use? I hope that makes sense. Well, I think maybe we can sum it up just with the word yeah. context, right? Yes, um, it, it is. It really is is dependent on the context, and mm-hmm. and maybe we are going to use similar techniques in both scenarios. Right, uh, you really are. I mean, just just think about a a a, a family a family portrait photographer who uses like a documentary eye to their work. I don't know. For some reason, I'm just thinking about like a band aids campaign. You could still use that same image somewhere else. It doesn't always have to live out to be like this one stagnant family photo. It could it could be used commercially. It could be used to be advertised something else. So I think just people just need to to know that the type of work that they shoot 
can be profitable elsewhere. And even the style that they shoot, shoot in can be profitable elsewhere. Interesting. Yeah. Some some other potential revenue streams for their business. That's exactly. an interesting exactly. talking point. Well, I, I think one of the things um, certainly that I'm a huge fan of when it comes to portraiture is this mm-hmm. notion of storytelling. And, and that would, mm-hmm. I, I hope that that theme would hold true both in family and couples portrait work as well as commercial portrait photography. Yeah. And, and I want to get into a bit of how you tell the stories of these subjects the way that you do. And um, there is such a variety, wonderful variety of portraits on the homepage of your website at lindsayweatherspoon.com. And of course, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. But on your about page, there's an interesting quote. It says, as a portraitist, Lindsay can see where people sitting for her have come from and where they are going. Using her experience as a public speaking instructor, Lindsay enjoys helping others face their fears to make presentations and tell their own stories. So I'm curious if you'll kind of explain a little bit about the process and, and what you mean by this quote, how you help the subjects relax and, um, it, well, just relax enough really, yeah. <laughs> to, to tell the story. As as you all have heard, I am a former public speaking instructor. Um, I, I taught at several colleges and until, you know, that was another, uh, that's another life that I live and enjoyed it. And in the midst of, you know, me teaching, I also had to learn a lot of things about myself and how I would calm my students down before they gave their speech. Um, what I typically do is it's just like I've, I've always been a listener. And when people are willing to talk, you just have to be quiet and allow them to, you know, pretty much chill out themselves. They don't mm. realize that they're re- relaxing. Yeah. But, you know, when you are, are responding with like a caring heart and emotion behind it, people will give you what you want. And what I mean by that is that they will express their emotions in the photos as long as you are reacting to them the way that they want. So I typically go in with with a mind of, okay, let me kind of research a little bit about you. And then once I do that, you know, I, I have my little small talk and then I kind of bring in layers of things about them that I found out. And then we just kind of go from there. I feel like when people realize that you care, then that's when they become more responsive to you with a camera. Because if you think about it, when people see a camera, they're instantly just like, oh, oh, no, I have to smile for these pictures. Like, no, I want you to truly be yourself in the moment. Hmm. I want you to give me what I want you to give me just what you're willing to give. Don't give me, you know, what the magazine is asking for. Be you. And that's pretty much it. I mean, I I feel like I've just I've I've done it so much that I don't even realize that I'm doing it now. So. Well, so a, a, a couple of things there that come to mind, though, is, is you're describing that. So first of all, you, you express the significance of caring for other people. And mm-hmm. I, I like this. This has been a kind of a theme, if you will, on the podcast as of late, this focus outward versus inward, this idea that we are, mm-hmm. I, you know, as, as artists, as, as so-called artist types, photographers, it's easy to get carried away with our ego and what we want out of a session yes, and this so-called really art is. that we're trying to create. When we go in with the goal, especially when trying to create a portrait that tells a story, with the goal of creating a comfortable environment um, yes. in which this subject can feel like they like they're it's okay to be themselves. Yes, it's um, okay to be vulnerable. It's okay yeah. to say, you know, I don't like taking these pictures, and then I usually tell them, "Well, you're gonna love them when we take them," and you know that gets a laugh out of them. I mean, I, I, I just think that when you go into a situation where you haven't done it as often, like you we as photographers are usually not in front of the camera as much. So it's kind of like, oh, well, you can be yourself, but just like, wait a minute. 
I'm not in front of the camera all of the time. So how can I tell somebody else to be themselves when I don't even know how to be myself in front of the camera? So it's, it's, it's also making sure that you have those shared experiences with that person. And like I said, just, just be open and honest about just be yourself in front of those same subjects. And that would allow them to do, to do and be the same. Yeah. Well, and, and that's an interesting uh, point to make too, because it, it requires at least a, a little bit of self-confidence too, right? It does. It does. Uh, you have to, you have to be vulnerable and, and that vulnerability requires a certain comfort level and security mm-hmm. in yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's, it, it, we talked about this idea of self-awareness earlier, and I think it's important that we do know ourselves and are comfortable in ourselves because that can translate to the quality of our work. But then again, to this point about caring for other people, genuinely creating an environment of, of kindness and concern and care mm-hmm. for that person, they will feel that that will help them open up and relax. And I think that's a really, really incredible point to, for all of our listeners to ponder when it comes mm-hmm. to creating portrait work. One of the things you said, though, it caught my attention. I'm curious to dig into this and maybe play a little bit of devil's advocate. You, you said that, <laughs> that that you you asked them to kind of just be themselves or whoever they mm-hmm. would would be or want to be. Mm-hmm. It seems like for those who aren't comfortable in front of the camera, if you just say, hey, be yourself, they're going to be like, well, I, I, what does that mean? I don't know what that looks like. How do you right. kind of guide them through that? What does that conversation look like? Quite honestly, it is a conversation. And as we're talking, I'm taking pictures of that person. Okay. So my my go-to is to, if you don't know how to be yourself, well, let's talk it out. But at the same time, I'm also going to put this camera when I feel like we've at, we're at a comfortable point. Oh, interesting. So think, okay. Yeah. So that, yeah, I think you just have to, you know, not only warm that person up, but really talk to them if you have time. I know some, some of the stories I've done, I only have about 10, maybe five minutes with a person. But in that midst of time, we may be talking about something that's in their desk. We may be talking about their family. We may be talking about, you know, what the story is about that I'm actually shooting. So it gets a natural, I, I feel like I usually get the, the natural reaction of someone. I haven't had anyone to tell me that I've taken a bad picture of them. I think what helps me is when people come back and say, you know, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to me hmm. before you start taking the pictures. Because, you know, I came in nervous, but you made me calm down and I appreciate that. Wow. And that's and that's what I love about what I do. I mean, I would want I would want someone to do what I do with other people, like, you know, kind of kind of warm me up before you start something, you know, yeah. make, make, me, make me feel good about this experience because yeah. this is first for me. So, you know, I I I, I just want to make people feel comfortable. And my my way of making them feel comfortable is just talking to them because I feel like some photographers may go into a situation where they're just setting up their light, take the picture and like, okay, well you'll have them later. Just like, well, what was the point of you going there if you didn't want to learn about that person? And it's not on a thing. It's not on a level of what can you do to help me? Like I want you to enjoy this experience because you may not have this again. You know, who's going to be in a magazine often. And I want you to enjoy the time that we're having at that time. Yeah. Wait, you mentioned the word experience. You you really are truly working at creating a positive experience for that subject then. And again, that that takes the focus off of you and makes it about them. And I think mm-hmm. um, myself included, we could all stand to do a bit more of, of that when it comes to the way that we run our businesses. I, I'm noticing in your, well, on the homepage that I keep alluding to, because it does have <laughs> such a wonderful variety of, of portraiture there. But the lighting is also is also 
Um, well, I should just say there's quite a variety of lighting styles. It, most mm-hmm. of it is quite subtle and soft and, and natural, which is really, really wonderful. I love the fact that it's not cookie cutter, kind of like we talked about earlier. Most yeah. corporate headshots, you're just getting the same lighting every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us a little bit about the way that you approach lighting. Number one, just from a, a kind of a philosophical standpoint, yeah. why you would handle lighting one way in one situation and, and not in the other. Um, and then maybe a little bit about the gear that you're using to create those portraits yeah so when i am going into um most of my portrait sessions as i said i i I usually have a feel for who the person is before i actually shoot them i am definitely a person that will depend on one light versus many so a lot of the photos that are on my homepage under the portrait section have all been shot with one light um it's very few of them that's been shot with two or three and I try to keep a minimally intrusive set so we don't just get hung up on what the lighting looks like. Hmm. You know, I'm I'm more about the personality. The lighting does fit the personality. Uh, I am more of a I have more of a softer approach because I, hmm, you know, I don't I don't necessarily know just why I have a softer approach, but <laughs> but it's just it's I, it's one of the the tools that I prefer to use. Okay, I just don't like I don't like harsh light on anyone. And to me, harsh light reads bad. And everybody doesn't need that type of style of lighting unless, you know, it's needed for the purpose of telling the story. Okay. But yeah, I just, I like to see the softer and genuine side of a person. So that's why most of the photos on my site are very subtle. You know, you may see some where it's, it's right in front of you, but a lot of it I want to be as inconspicuous as possible. Yeah, yeah. You know, let let that let the person shine, not not the lighting. Oh, I like that. I think we can make a T-shirt out of that or yes. something. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. So you talked about using one light. Do you mind mm-hmm. sharing what light you're using? Sure. I use the Interfit S ones, so they're similar to Profoto B ones, but um, a whole lot cheaper. <laughs> nice. Okay. So, yeah. So um, I I really love the Interfit brand. Um, this is not a sponsored um, ad at the moment, <laughs> but I love I love their brand because uh, when I started shooting, I was using Bowens. Okay. And so you know, Bowen the Bowens mount is pretty popular, and that's what Interfit uses. So all of my Bowens gear can now be used on my Interfit um, gear. Nice. So that was like the the main purpose for me for me buying into their system. But um, they're battery operated, portable, wireless lighting. I like to use a lot of soft lighters, like Fotex soft lighters, along with uh, Interfit's deep white umbrellas. So that's where the soft lighting comes from. So that's why you don't see any like, you know, specular highlights or any silver lighting lighting on anyone, anything that's like too hard and too prickly for my for my um, needs. So I really like to go in with a soft approach with by using those um, Interfit deep white umbrellas. So that that's just my preferred tools, along with C-stands. C-stands have been my best friend for the past couple of years. Okay. But much more sturdy than your regular light stands. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I typically like to boom my lights, and ba- and I don't usually bounce it off of anything. It usually just goes straight onto the person, so... That's that's the approach that I take when it comes to lighting. Oh, I love the simplicity of that you mentioned that they're battery powered, so now you don't have to carry mm-hmm. the battery pack around. That the setup is that much simpler. I like that too. And Interfit is it just like it sounds? Mm-hmm. The spelling, I, yeah, I N T E R F I T. Okay, perfect. Well, yeah. we'll link to that brand then in the show notes for those of you listening in. If if you haven't had the opportunity to visit the show notes yet, uh, make sure that you do. You listen to these episodes. 
um, Haley is putting together show notes to go along with these episodes. And so when I refer to that, all you have to do is go to Boca Podcast, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. And you can see the show notes associated with uh, each of the episodes that you're listening to, the resources, the links. Uh, in this case, Interfit, we'll make sure to link to them as well. And I appreciate you sharing that with us, Lindsay. Oh, no problem. I, we've, we've talked a little bit about the psychology behind how you approach the shoot, which is really, really wonderful. I, I'm fascinated by psychology anyway. You talked a little bit about the lighting. Um, mm-hmm. Something that you mentioned to me before we started recording was the approach that you take to research when mm-hmm. it comes to photographing a subject. Mm-hmm. Will you comment a little bit on that and, and the significance that, that carries when it comes to telling the story of the subject? I like to think that every photographer, of course, we're all going to tell a different side of the story. And I, I typically either do any, I, I typically do research, whether it's going to be looking for photos of the person I have to shoot, or maybe looking for articles that the person has written or articles that have been written about them. I try my best to not um, recreate any photos that anybody else has taken. Hmm. And I think that's important because if we if we start relying on other photographers, then why do we call ourselves creatives? So I make myself work a little bit harder to get a different picture or a different story than someone else does. So that's that's the type of research that I usually do. Now, sometimes I honestly don't because the the shoots are so they're pretty much running gun. You already know that you're going to go in, take a picture of this client and then leave. So sometimes that, you know, that storytelling element maybe far removed from the shoot. But if it's something more on the editorial side of the world, then I take, I take my time to um, at least, you know, find a little bit of information about that person to where we can have an instant connection while we're shooting. And that actually happened on a recent shoot for NPR about the, uh, about a new museum that's in Montgomery. So, and I'll make sure I, I'll, uh, I can, tell you all about that story. But Brian Stevenson, who's um, part of the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama, um, he's a, an extremely popular man. And I, I actually had a friend of mine who shot him for a story for the um, for the National Geographic. Wow. So I was, ex- yeah, I was excited for him to shoot him, but I was just like, you know what, let me, let me do my homework and let me look at all of the pictures that were taken of Brian Stevenson. And I looked at all of them. I said, you know what, I'm going to try to make a better photo. And I was happy with the result that I came up with. Matter of fact, my the editors at NPR were happy with the result. And another thing that came out of that photo was that a far magazine reached out to use that same portrait of Brian Stevenson. So that's that's what I'm saying as far as like making sure that you use your own creative eye to shoot the uh you know someone that has been shot many 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 times. Like use your own creative um, initiative and your own creative eye to make what you want to create. Again, what I find important is not only get what the client wants, but get what you want for your own for your own portfolio. Um, most people are going to pay, pay attention to what you love to shoot versus what they ask you to do. And that's going to be crucial to anyone's, anyone's career who wants to kind of shift from shooting primarily weddings or whatever else that you shoot to move into the commercial and editorial side of the world. So just, just be mindful of what your creativity looks like compared to somebody else. And also don't compare yourself to anybody else. (laughs) Like you are you and what you create is, is you are the only one that's going to create it that way. So just, just be yourself when it comes to being that photographer. Well, this is, 
that this is really, really important conversation for multiple reasons. I mean, certainly we need to avoid this comparison, this tendency to compare ourselves yes, on yes, multiple yes. levels because it's easy to get bogged down in that. But it is something that you mentioned to me before we started recording when you were you were talking about this idea of research is that mm-hmm. you were you said that you would focus on the text description mm-hmm. uh, or what you were actually reading about this person versus, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, looking at. Uh, images, other images of this person, yeah. uh, because it gives you the opportunity to to almost develop a certain level of imagination in conjunction with this person, this personality, this their story, and come up with uh, your own ideas about how you might you might photograph them. Versus, you know, even if we say, "Hey, we're not going to quote copy or quote take mm-hmm. inspiration from mm-hmm. somebody else's work," it's it's hard for our our brains to forget. What we then see, if we if we end up looking up pictures or other portraits of this particular subject, even if it's kind of subconscious in nature, it might be a little bit difficult to remove ourselves from That's that true. style of portraiture. But if mm-hmm. we're focusing on the story that we've read, then we can create our own imagery in our minds that we can then translate to our work in person. And I think that's a really wonderful approach and a good good reminder for all of our listeners. Yeah, and it also provides not only that imagination, but what angle like the literal angle, do I want to shoot them? Do I want to shoot them from, you know, above? Do I want to shoot them from below to the side? Do I want to have a straightforward portrait? Those things are also rolling in my mind too. Like, do I want to show the environment that that person is sitting in? Do I want to just, you know, keep it strictly as um, a headshot of them, that, like a very impactful headshot? You know, it, a lot of things run through my head when it comes to different portraits. So, so yeah, I mean, that the, the storyline about, whatever subject that I'm shooting matters most rather than the pictures that were, you know, previously shot of them. So I try to use my, I try to use my brain as much as I can without having someone to tell me how to do it. And in addition to reading about them ahead of time, you mentioned the significance of conversation to help them feel comfortable, Mm -hmm. but do you also Mm -hmm. use that to pull a little bit of their story out and translate that to your work as well? I do. Um, And for the the story that I was just telling you about, you know, um, I actually mentioned my friend's name who had shot him previously and Brian remembered it. So that helped us have a connection while we were doing our shoot. Hmm. So, you know, you know, those little things, when you pay attention to a person and you know, all of the, not only the accolades, but the small stuff that people may not even talk about or notice. Yes. You, you never realize that those things matter most than what they talk about all of the time. Like, Oh, you actually took time to find out other things about me. Yeah. And, you know, that that's that human component. You know, if someone was to come up to me and, and they are having a photo shoot with me and they were like, oh, we know there's this good hot dog spot across the street. I'm like, oh, so we got to <laughs> we got to finish taking these pictures so I can have it. You know, those type of things, <laughs> those small things really matter. And, you know, it makes it makes you feel like you are important to them at that time. As, even a, it, as a person, as a human being. Exactly, right? yeah. exactly. And even if it's for a short amount of time, you made me feel good in that moment. Oh. So that's, that's what I want to do. And that's what I, I, I try to do, attempt to do with all of the shoots that I have to do. That's that's wonderful. I, and that's a wonderful way to conclude our conversation, too. And, and just as kind of a, a side note to that, if, if any of you listening have not read the book, 
How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, my favorite book. My it's, favorite book. <laughs> oh, it's it's such a yeah, it's such a great book, um, especially with regards to how we engage with others. And of course, this naturally carries over to the portrait and, and wedding photography work for that matter mm-hmm. that we do. Mm-hmm. The way that we engage with others is going to translate largely to the imagery itself. Mm-hmm. That's so important to keep in mind. This has been a wonderful conversation, Lindsay. I can't thank you enough. Can you just share one more time where listeners can find you online as well as on social media? Yeah, um, you can find me on my website. It's Lindsay, L-Y-N-S-E-Y, Weatherspoon, W-E-A-T-H-E-R-S-P-O-O-N.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as L-N Weatherspoon, W-E-A-T-H-E-R-S-P-O-O-N. I, I made sure I had the same name on all um, social media accounts yeah. so it'd be easier to find me. Oh, and one more thing. You can find me on YouTube as well. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. Look for Lindsay Weatherspoon. I talk about how to improve your photography. I also talk about tech and things of that nature on my YouTube channel. Okay, cool. Well, we'll link to all of these in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Uh, for those of you listening in, make sure you do visit the show notes. Take advantage of all the resources there. And make sure you listen, of course, continue to listen to the episodes that we put out. But Lindsay, thank you so much for making time for the Boca podcast today. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. And if I could just say one thing before we leave, and the what I usually tell people is just keep shooting. No matter what, just keep shooting. I love it. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.